Welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and it is show number 177. Happy to be with you. Happy to be live here on Facebook, member of uh, Voice Ed Radio Canada, and certainly the uh, Education Podcast Network. Great podcast there. If you like this one, give us a positive positive review. Uh, but also a lot of great other podcasts on those uh, avenues, Voice Ed Radio Canada and the Education Podcast Network. Happy to be uh, in those groups and pumped up to be on. I got the technology that we're working, we're live. Uh, the last two shows, I had a heck of a time, so I apologize to my audience. Uh, I'm sponsoring my own show today. That's right. We don't have an outside sponsor, but I'm sponsoring my own show. Uh, and I do want to talk a little bit about a, a writing workshop um, that I have coming up. That is on the 25th of September. It's 9.30 in the morning Eastern time. And we're going to talk to today's guest about his writing style and uh, his writing and what he's done for reading for, for adults and kids. Um, we're going to meet Dr. Danny Braswell uh, here in a minute, or Brassell here in a minute. And... Um, Danny's got books, Danny speaks, Danny's got a lot going on, and I'm pumped to talk to him, and certainly about his writing. But on the 25th of September, if you are someone who's thinking about writing a book, if you are interested, you don't really know what to do, you wanted to do it, you hear some, you know someone who wrote a book, uh, it's a big, it's a workshop for beginners, right? I'm not, I'm no worldwide author, but I have three books here, and uh, our fourth is coming out, so I've learned a couple things along the way that I want to share with you. It's the 25th. You have to register at andrewmarada.com. Uh, it'll be virtual. We're going to have some guests in there. And it will be fun. Okay. Uh, more information, again, andrewmarada.com. Uh, opening concept today, the power of humor. The power of not only laughing yourself, right, but making other people laugh. Um, I'm looking forward to, again, talking to our guests here uh, coming up. Uh, Dr. Danny uh, Brassell. Danny uh, is an excellent speaker, uh, tremendous. He's given over 3,000 keynote speeches and workshops, um, but an amazing sense of humor. Uh, and I can't wait to learn more about that. But I'm a, I'm a middle school principal. Uh, I work with young people. I'm a father. I'm a husband. Uh, I'm a, an Italian New Yorker. It's You got to have a sense of humor. You got to not take yourself too seriously. And, you know, some people, maybe you get nervous when you speak, but when you can open with a good joke, when you can open uh, with something that kind of makes people say, all right, this guy's all right, you know, not bad, um, you know, go for it, right? I, I started telling telling the teachers this year, telling some different groups I spoke to this summer, right? Like, hey, it's okay to laugh, right? You know, uh, what do teachers call someone who's afraid to pass gas in public? A private tutor. Right, like it's a silly joke. My daughter gave it to me. It was like, oh my god! And I told her, she's like, Dad, you told that joke to your staff. Like, oh my god, how could you do that? They were dying laughing. So you need a joke. You're talking to teachers. You're talking to educators. Uh, what, who, you know, what do you call a teacher who's afraid to uh, pass gas in public? A private tutor. They'll laugh, right? So don't be afraid to tell a joke. Don't be afraid to start with a humorous story. If you stink at it. You know how you get better? Practicing. You get better by practicing, and you also get better by watching great and funny speakers like today's guest, 
Dr. Danny Brussel. We are going to bring him in the show here live on education, leadership, and beyond. And bam, live from Denver. Here he is, technology work. Danny, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. Thanks for all that you do. And hopefully uh, I won't stink. Uh, you've already had 176 great guests, so I'll try and keep your, uh, your run going. Try to keep the street going uh, and no pre no pressure on you, Danny, but you come with high expectations. Those that have seen you speak, uh, and again, uh, I've read your books and look, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things going on. But what do, you, what do you, let's start with that opening concept, Danny. Uh, we're going to get to know you during the show here. But what do you think about that, the power of laughter, the power of making people speak, and, and why is it so important in, in when you speak to groups? Well, yeah, you and I were talking beforehand. I, I always say, you know, you need to learn how to laugh at yourself. I always tell that to audiences because you ain't all that and neither am I. And if you think you're all that, teach kindergarten for one week. Those little ones will set you straight. I once had a, a little girl, LaShonda, she raises her hand. I'm like, LaShonda, question. She's like, Miss Bissell, when are you going to trim your nose hair? I'm like, uh, this afternoon. Thanks for bringing that to my attention, LaShonda. I ain't all that and uh, we need to laugh. Uh, I love your dad jokes. Uh, here's one you can give to your faculty. Uh, what do janitors shout when they jump out of the closet? What's that? Supplies. <laughs> Teachers have come running for that one. <laughs> We're going to go way downhill if we keep up with the dad jokes. <laughs> Guys, if you're watching live, we'd love for you to be part of the show. Uh, again, Dr. Danny's a, a really interesting guy, educator, inspiration, motivator. So uh, don't be afraid to jump in. But Danny, let's get started um, with you and, and what the work you're doing. You know, you're a reading ambassador. You've made reading part of your whole life. You, you, you're born to a librarian. You know, it's in your family. Why reading and, and how did you get going on that journey? That's a great question, Andrew. It's actually kind of ironic because I grew up hating reading. And uh, you're right, my dad was a librarian. I always hated the public library growing up, you know, uh, they always smelled funny. The furniture was uncomfortable. There was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. There's always some freaky homeless guy who thinks he's a vampire hanging out by the bookshelves. I hated the public library. It wasn't until I started teaching in the inner city in South Central LA that I recognized a lot of my students didn't have the advantages I had growing up. I mean, I had both of my parents in the home. We were, we were not poor. Uh, we weren't wealthy by any means, uh, but we always had food on the table. My parents uh, always read in front of us kids and to us. We had plenty of resources available. And it really made me point the finger at myself and say, shame on me. Uh, I need to get my kids excited about reading because we know the more excited you are to read, the more likely you are to read. And the more you read, the better you get. And so it became kind of my mission. I, I think that schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read a book. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they think it's awesome. And so that's my job is to impart all kinds of uh, tips and strategies for parents and teachers on simple ways they can get their kids to read more, read better, and most importantly, love reading. And Danny, what would you say, like, what are some of those top things, right? You speak to all different kinds of ages. We both have teenagers. I got middle schoolers and elementary. What would you say are a couple top things that parents could do to 
get those kids to read that teachers could. I think that uh, television is here to stay. And so one of the tips that I give to parents is President Bush Sr. signed a very important law 30 years ago that said every television set sold in America has closed captioning. The first thing I give parents is turn on the closed captioning. People say, wait a sec, it shows in English, the subtitles are in English. What good does that do? I, I think that's a fair point. The point I always like to make is, have you ever watched a show with subtitles and not looked at the subtitles? It's very difficult to do. Your brain is directed towards the text. There's actually research to support this. If you look at reading scores around the world, the more kids watch TV, the lower their reading scores are in every single country except for one. The country that has the highest reading scores in the world watches the most TV in the world. It's Finland. Now, how can that be? Well, Andrew, Finland makes really bad TV shows. And so they have to import all these old American sitcoms like Happy Days and Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island. And they, they subtitle all of them. The kids are constantly reading. It's an easy tip that I always give to parents, you know, the research is really clear on this. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. I always tell teachers and parents, the little boy who only reads Captain Underpants is going to be a better reader than the little boy who refuses to read anything. Captain Underpants is the gateway drug to Shakespeare. We gotta get them hooked though. You got to listen to the kids and find out what they're interested in and base your entire reading strategy for that child based on their own interest. That's fascinating. I would have never thought about that with the closed caption. Uh, that's fascinating. Danny, you have a wide range, a wide background, teacher, professor. You've lived all over the country. You're a multi-time author and now a national you know, how, tell me about that journey. How did you how did you go on that journey? What made you make some changes along the way? Tell us a little bit about that. I'm kind of like Bert from uh, Mary Poppins. Dick, you ever notice that Dick Van Dyke can't hold down steady employment? One day he played <laughs> 20 instruments. The next day he's cleaning chimneys. Uh, uh, I like to, I, I guess it's my, you and I share uh, attention deficit disorder. When we were kids, it was called curiosity. Uh, but I, I, I get bored uh, pretty quickly. And uh, so I started my career as a journalist. And then uh, uh, it, I, I remember I had the greatest job in the world. I got to uh, meet every editor of every major newspaper in America. I was getting job offers everywhere. And I got an offer for a major newspaper to do the crime beat for $16,500 a year. And then a friend of mine said, oh, they have teaching positions in Compton, California, in South Central L.A. for $25,200 a year. So I always confess to people, I became an educator for the noblest of reasons, for the high pay. And I was, <laughs> I was blessed. I, I loved uh, teaching and then uh, becoming an administrator, working at the university, um, being a researcher, you know, speaking all over the place. And now... You know, for the last five years, I've been really building up my company around the world. And that's been a whole other uh, transition where now I'm blessed. Uh, my, my online reading engagement program is the top reading engagement program on the planet. And because we build good habits, we join forces with a wonderful uh, company in Ireland called CyberSmarties, which is a social media for, platform for kids that only kids are allowed to go on. Adults are not allowed. And we, we know that adults can't go on because every kid is cleared by both the police department and the school records of the education. 
And so basically it works like if you type in a, a message, Danny, I think you're ugly. It won't let you send it, Andrew. Instead, it's going to pop up a video saying, you know what? That's not a nice thing to say. Here are better ways to communicate. And basically wow. in the last five years, we found that we've completely eliminated cyberbullying in Ireland. And now we've expanded to uh, uh, the UAE, Egypt, Pakistan, India. And that's my goal is I want a kid that goes through my program someday to win the Nobel Peace Prize by establishing good habits. Uh, I want you to be courteous. I want you to be a reader. I want you to be fit. Um, we have to establish good habits. Since I don't see enough adults uh, doing those things, it's even more critical that we build up the next generation so they can make the world a little bit better place. Can you get your program in touch with Snapchat? Can you uh, get them involved with what you're doing? I mean, so I'm not going to target any one social media platform, but these things were created and a lot of the people that created them, they had no interest in children or in positivity. They had yes. a lot of interest in money. And because of that, when you, I mean, I, 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 I can't name the social media. I don't like to call people out, but it's like, wow, this is where people go to gripe. This is where people air their dirty laundry. And I was actually teaching a class a couple of weeks ago where I told the kids, oh, Here's something that's amazing. You don't have to respond to every message on social media. You don't. You know, you can just let it pass, let it slide, because if you let it slide, it's no longer an issue. Bullies love people to be affected by them. And bullies love reaction. And if you don't give them a reaction, the bully ceases to exist. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make the world a little bit better place, but I, I've been blessed with lots of wonderful mentors. And one of my mentors was a guy by the name of Charlie Tremendous Jones. And he said, you're the same today as you will be in five years, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. So I always emphasize to kids, be wise, surround yourself with people that lift you up and make sure you fill your mind with really positive books. Wow. You said a lot there. That was awesome. I love that quote. Uh, and, and it's so true. Uh, but Danny, now you focus uh, is a lot on the speaking. You travel a lot. Um, you know, tell me about how you, when people say Danny Brussel is a, a dynamic speaker. Like, how do you do that? How do you capture your audience, make them laugh, and, and keep them engaged? You need to learn about your audience, Andrew. It's a great question. So, for example, I'm a uh, visiting distinguished professor at the American University in Cairo. And so, before the pandemic, I was in Egypt for a month. And I decided I wanted to speak to some Muslim schools. And so, uh, gosh, Andrew, I went to my first Muslim school and it was two o'clock in the afternoon and 400 parents showed up. And it was like the Muslim Brotherhood. All the guys had the long beards and all the women were in burqas. And we were talking like you and I are talking right now. And I thought, what a great experience for me. Shame on me. I had all these preconceptions and it turned out I loved the audience. I, I started off my speech, I said, you know, I was reading this book. Have any of you ever read the Quran? And everybody laughed. I said, oh, well, then you know the story in the Quran when the Archangel Gabriel appears in the cave and talks to Muhammad. What's the first thing he does? He instructs Muhammad to do because in Islam, the first pillar of Islam is to read. And so I told the parents, so not only should we get your kids reading, it's actually written in your most sacred text. It's your duty to get your kids reading. And all of a sudden, the entire audience is doing this and i'm like oh my gosh who would have thought that the christian guy his favorite audiences are islamic schools and so i have been uh, speaking a ton 
throughout uh, Pakistan and Egypt and uh, the Middle East to, to really uh, get a lot of parents involved. But it's just about learning about your audience. I mean, if I'm speaking to uh, an audience, uh, I mean, my, my mom used to be part of this uh, women's club. And so uh, I think the median age of members of her uh, women's club was about 183. And so I had to come up with examples and anecdotes from things that they understand. Just like if I'm talking to teenagers, I can't give them anecdotes about uh, Henry Ford. They don't know anything about Henry Ford. But if I say Elon Musk, a lot of them know who Elon Musk is. I'm not going to talk to them about, uh, you know, uh, Janis Joplin. I'm going to talk to them about Pitbull. And, uh, you know, you got to figure out what it's the same as getting a kid to read. You know, good teachers, good parents, we eavesdrop all the time. If I hear kids talking about NASCAR, I got to get some NASCAR books. If they're talking about J-Lo, I got to get a biography of Jennifer Lopez. It's, you know, again, it doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. And the other thing I always tell kids is you are what you read, so read good stuff. I mean, uh, uh, one of my best suggestions to people is to turn off the nightly news and read a funny children's book. I can already tell you. What's on the news tonight? The world is coming to an end, and whoever the president is is doing a bad job. It's been the same negative news for the last 100 years. You know, read a funny children's book. You'll impress your friends. Yeah, I read a book last night from cover to cover. Really? <laughs> what was it about? Well, it was about this little red hen. Fascinating allegory. <laughs> Danny, this is great. You know, they say the best coaches, right? Uh, they don't have their players adjust to their system. They adjust their system to who they have, and that's kind of what you're describing. But you also got to have some go-tos, right? You have to have presence on the stage. You have to have timing. So many principals and school leaders that I work with, that's one of they're afraid, afraid to be in that spotlight and on the stage. You know, what would you say to that? What are some, some things that maybe that you do that could help people be better speakers uh, you know, besides that kind of knowing that audience and the content. Well, you you already made some suggestions is you got to go out and do it. When I coach speakers, I always say there's two things you have to do to become a great speaker. First of all, you have to watch a lot of great speakers. And second of all, you have to go out and speak. You know, you yeah. got to do the reps. I watch at least 10 speakers a day. I watch I'll watch politicians. I'll watch televangelists. I'll watch comedians. I'll watch them do TED Talks. I'll watch long keynotes. I'll watch them in front of large audiences, in front of small audiences. I love to watch award shows because I'm like, huh, I wonder if this person can make a coherent message in 45 seconds. Matter of fact, I want to actually start a business where I write Academy Award speeches because when Brad, <laughs> when Brad Pitt won the Best Supporting Actor and he gave his speech, I'm like, somebody wrote that for him. That was not off the cuff. You can tell immediately who's prepared. Um, and then you got to do the reps. I, I love it. Uh, I'm blessed that I haven't been on Oprah yet because I'm not prepared to be on Oprah. I need to I need to be at the best to be on Oprah. You know, before I give a speech, I'm giving that speech all the time to elementary schools, to churches, to every single service organization, Rotary Club, Optimist Club, Kiwanis Club. I'm speaking to chambers of commerce and I'm I'm finding out, you know, hey, this check. This joke worked in Indiana, but it didn't work as well in uh, in the South. And, uh, oh, I have to change all of my football references to hockey when I'm in Canada. Oh, and, uh, you know, football in Europe isn't uh, our football. It's soccer. And, and, you know, you just have to figure out. There was actually a great uh, American Express ad several years ago with Jerry Seinfeld. And he's doing a routine in England and nobody's laughing. And he's like. I've got to learn the lingo. And he uses his American Express all around <laughs> England. And then they show him again. And he's like dressed in knickers. And he's like, 
So I told the chap, and everybody's laughing. <laughs> you have to figure out what your audience is all about. That's awesome. So true. And I love that you referenced Seinfeld. Yeah. Because I love his stage presence. Yeah, he's unbelievable. I actually, I, I don't know. I haven't confirmed this, but I heard the first time he went on stage, he totally bombed. And the second night he went on stage, he killed it. And he's been great ever since. And I'm like, wow. Because I think... Uh, the way he tells story, I was just doing this with my kids. On the, I was driving them to the gym the other day, and uh, Seinfeld's routine on sitcoms. He's like, uh, he's doing Gilligan's Island. He's like, a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. So why do they bring all those clothes? And then he, he's like, uh, and what's with the professor? I mean, the guy can make a coconut into a radio, but he can't fix a hole in a boat. I mean. <laughs> Brilliant. It's brilliant stuff. <laughs> and again, you being the speaker, you would appreciate this. He had like a behind the scenes uh, kind of documentary about him prepping yeah. for the shows and reading the bits. It was yeah, it was fantastic. Um, Danny, it's so nice to, to meet someone who's really good at their job, but really you could tell the underlying message is that you're looking to help people. Uh, you've referenced uh, religion a few times. I'm, I'm going to ask you about that, but you're, you're looking to help people through this uh, you keep a quote on your computer and if I could read it here others Lord yeah yes others let this my motto be help me to live for others that I may live like thee you know you're doing that through a lot of avenues tell me about this concept of trying to be good at your job but really you're trying to help other people well it's a thank you I, I appreciate that Andrew so I have another quote uh, I love from John Wooden it's actually not John Wooden. It's a poem he had learned when he was a kid, the basketball coach, John Wooden. And he, the, it went, uh, no written word nor spoken plea can teach our youth what they should be, nor all the books on all the shelves. It's what the teachers are themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's a very important responsibility that no matter what you do, you're always a teacher and a role model. My first three years teaching, I never met a dad. And I was the only male faculty member. And I realized, wow, to a lot of the kids at this school, I'm their male role model. And it was very important to me to set a good example to those kids. I take it very seriously. And, uh, you know, we train people how to treat us. And so uh, it, was, it was actually kind of great. I was being interviewed for a, uh, a radio program and it was a political program. They tried to drag me down a path. And I said, I'm not going down that path because we need to learn how to be able to disagree with one another without being disagreeable to one another. You know, it's all right mm. for us to, to have different opinions, but it's not all right for us not to, to love and respect one another. And it was great because these people that, not just the, the host, but a lot of the callers had been obnoxious. I'd been listening to the show for the first hour and all of them changed their tune once that was the ground rule. And we, we came from a place where, hey, I don't think we're ever gonna solve problems by calling each other bad names. I think the way we solve problems is by accepting that we have differences and then trying to figure out where the common ground is. Awesome. Good for you for speaking up there. And you know, even you not wanting to mention in the social media, like I, I respect that. Uh, I like that. Um, then I had a chance to read, uh, this is your latest book, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a chance to read this. Uh, thank you for it. Amazing stories. Like I knew you were a good speaker without seeing you speak other than the videos by reading this, they're short snippets, they're, they're leadership points. It was so easy to read. Now, tell me about your process of, of writing this, 
weaving stories into your message. So the book Leadership Begins with Motivation. That's my homage to Paul Harvey. I grew up listening to Paul Harvey on the radio. Uh, Paul Harvey passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 325 years old. And I used to live for 1215 every day because Paul Harvey would come on and say, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. And he'd tell you a story and you're trying to figure out who it is he's talking about or what company or whatever. And when I, when I taught uh, eighth grade, I was the only teacher at my middle school never to have any tardy students. It was because I always started off class with a Paul Harvey story, but a lot of those stories are kind of outdated. And so I wanted to create something that's more updated with uh, people and, and companies that the kids know. I mean, I was reading, I was in New York about a month ago and uh, I was reading to a class a story. A lot of people don't know, this is a Paul Harvey one. Uh, a lot of people don't know that New York City, before it was called New York City, it was called New Amsterdam. Uh, it's because the Dutch settled there first. Well, back in 1664, the British were trying to take over the entire eastern seaboard, and the Dutch surrendered without firing a shot. And so the British started making fun of the Dutch, and pretty soon everything negative in society became Dutch. And some of those expressions have lasted over 350 years in our language. So, for example, when you go Dutch on a date, it means you're both paying. I'll be a Dutch man's uncle is not a nice thing to say to a person. A Dutch wife means she's a prostitute. Dutch courage means you're drunk. But there's one thing the British used to say to the Dutch, which infuriated them. You know how every ethnic group has a type of uh, food we like to associate with that ethnic group? Well, the Dutch, they really like cheese. And so the British started going around calling the Dutch John Cheese. And this angered the Dutch so much, they started calling the British John Cheese. In Dutch, Yankees, you know, Yankees. And that is the rest of the story. I mean, I, I could live, I, I live on those types of stories. I'm always wow. wow. And not only are you funny, you got the impersonation yeah, yeah, yeah. too, man. <laughs> wow, that's a great story. What I like about you, Andrew, I mean, my Italian friends, I don't know what it is, uh, maybe there's this bond between the Irish and the Italians. We just know how to tell stories. Uh, well, I'm a huge uh, Dodger fan, L.A. Dodger fan, and one of my favorite people on the planet passed away recently, Tommy Lasorda, our former oh, manager. Oh, yeah. I can listen to Tommy Lasorda's stories till I'm blue in the face. Uh, there's a great story of uh, uh, Steve Sachs was a, uh, an all-star second baseman for the Dodgers back in the early 80s. His rookie year, you know, he was, he, he was the first guy to steal 30 bases and and hit 30 homers, he batted 300, he was just incredible. Well then, in the second year playing for the Dodgers, he got the yips, and he made like nine throwing errors in 12 games to first base. And so, before a game, uh, he goes to the batting cage, and Tommy's like, Steve, no batting practice today. I want you to walk around Dodger Stadium, look up in the stands, I want you to feel the, the vibe of this place. Come on back and tell me what you learned. And so Steve Sachs does. He comes back and Tommy's like, did you do it, Steve? And Steve's like, yeah. He's like, how many guys up there you think could bat 30 home runs in the major leagues? He's like, not many. That's right, Steve, not many. But you did last year. How many guys up there you think could steal 30 bases in the major leagues? Not many. That's right, Steve, not many. But you did last year. How many guys up there you think could bat 300 in the major leagues. Steve just smiles. He's like, not many. And Tommy's like, that's right, Steve. Now answer me this. 
How many little girls up there you think can throw a ball 90 feet? Every freaking one of them. From that point on, he didn't have a single throwing hair the rest of the season. <laughs> wow. Wow. Hey, if you want to know how to tell a story, you just did it right there. You made it relative. You made it funny. You used enthusiasm. Uh, this is great. If you're looking for something to read, you're looking for a spark. Uh, again, I'm a principal here. I found it fantastic. Uh, Danny, I have so many place markers in here of, right. of stories. and uh, We shared a couple through. Tell me about your process. You're, you're a busy uh, speaking track. You know, do you go to a hotel and you, you block out time? I'm going to be doing this writing workshop, so I'd love to share some of your insight. Well, you know, do, you, do you wake up from 5 a.m. to 7? Like how, how and when do you do it? I've done different things. I, I, I wrote a travel book once, and that's what I did. I got up at 4 every morning and wrote until 6, and I, it took me about two months doing it that way. I, one of the blessings for me is when I get to speak at a lot of conferences, there's a lot of authors at the conferences, and so I'm, I'm constantly consulting authors. And uh, there's a great author, Roland, Roland Smith. He wrote uh, – he's like – he used to work at the Portland Zoo in Portland, Oregon. He's like the world's foremost expert on the gray wolf, and he's written – all kinds of nature books, but he wrote this great book called Peak, which is a middle school book. And it basically, you read this book, and you'll never want to climb Mount Everest because it shows you all the environmental damage we're doing to the Himalayas by climbing Mount Everest. And he was great. I asked him, how do you, how do you write? And he said, you know, people will tell me, oh, if I just had a cabin up in the, in the mountains of Colorado, that's when I'd write the book. He's like, if I had a cabin in the mountains of Colorado, I'd be looking at the mountains. I wouldn't be writing. He's like, I just make writing a priority every day. So if I'm about to go on stage, I have a yellow legal pad and I write longhand. If I'm waiting for an airplane, I'm writing longhand. Every moment of the day is an opportunity for me to write. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, to be honest, it just depends. Um, so some books, I'll, I'll be very disciplined and I'll get up early in the morning. Uh, but other books, I'll have a deadline and I'll wait until a week beforehand. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to write a book and I'll write a book. Um, some books are really easy. As, as a speaker, I've learned that uh, uh, one of my books was called A Baker's Dozen of Lessons Learned from the Teaching Trenches. And that book took me three days to write because it was based on a speech I had delivered over 200 times and the whole book was in my head. Um, I wrote another book, the Bringing Joy Back in Education book that I wrote, uh, the book is different than the speech because I wrote the book before the speech. And this was a, a problem because as I delivered my speech to, to different audiences, I'm like, oh, this doesn't work in the speech. Oh, people respond better to this. And so now when people get that book, I'm like, it's actually very different than the speech I deliver, it's, which is weird. Um, the leadership begins with motivation. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to make a confession on this book. So this book, uh, right when the pandemic began, um, I, I, I had printed out a picture of a cover of this book and I put it on my square space, uh, page. Oh, here's my leadership book or whatever. And nobody had ever bought it. And right at the beginning of the pandemic, like all of a sudden 50 people wanted a copy of this book and I hadn't written the book yet, Andrew, all I had was a cover. And so I told people, oh, because of the pandemic, Amazon is about a month behind. Can I send it to you in a month? And people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've got to write a book. And 
one of the things as a speaker, what I do is whenever I'm reading, this is my habit, is I, I buy all my books and I'm constantly writing in my books. And then after I finish a book, I take on my iPhone, I take pictures of, of uh, the pages I've dog-eared and I have files, hundreds of files on my computer, like stories of integrity, stories of communication, stories of leadership. And so when I have to speak on leadership, I already have 50 stories that I can refer to. And so when I was writing this book, the cover I had said the, the name of the book was Leadership Begins with Motivation. So I'm like, okay, the book has to be called that. And then it said, uh, what's the subtitle? 33 Unique Ways to Think and Act. I'm like, okay, so it has to be at least 33 chapters and it has to be begin with Leadership Begins with Motivation. And so I, I, for whatever reason, I'm like, Asian. Asian is a suffix. It means to take action. And I'm like, oh, and there's lots of, there's lots of words that end in Asian. And so I just decided, okay, my first chapter is going to be motivation, but then I'll have determination and, uh, you know, aspiration and uh, differentiation. And that's basically how I formatted the book. And I, I'm a person, I'm a big believer in, in airplane books, meaning that you should be able to finish, to start and finish a book on a flight. Because uh, I like books that are quick, uh, like, like a, a bathroom reader, something that it's, it's not too complicated. And you've read the book, so you can see that every chapter has about two to three different anecdotes related to the concept. And that's all I'm trying to do is I'm, all, I'm, I'm constantly trying to, you know, when I'm teaching, uh, a lot of my kids have a short attention span. So I'm like, all right, you know what? You're not listening to me. I got to read you a story right now. And, you know, the, my, my students always know I'm easy to get off track like I am right now. <laughs> when I was an administrator, I always thought faculty meetings were boring. And so I always try to start off with a children's book and some kind of fun story to get everybody uh, working together. So my process is it depends. Uh, I'll give you I'll be very honest about another book I wrote. Uh, it was it was down to me and another speaker for a, a presentation at a school district outside of Houston. And it was a pretty lucrative engagement. And so I asked the conference planner, uh, what's your biggest challenge? that you're facing and she's like, oh, how to work with English language learners. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a book called How to Work with English Language Learners. If you bring me in, I'll give a, a, I'll give a copy of that book to every person in your audience. And she's like, you do that? I'm like, absolutely. She signs the contract. I call up Janice, my designer. I'm like, hey, Janice, can you design me a cover? I have to write a book tonight. And I wrote that book because I got that contract. So that was a book that took 24 hours uh, because that's that, that's what had to be done. I mean, now, you know, I've had, I've worked with five traditional publishers and uh, they're great. I mean, and there's something to be said about working with traditional publishers, but now I have, I have one of the top book clubs online. And so I get people sending me books. I'll, I have to go through about 5,000 books a year. And um, I used to always be able to tell if a book was self-published, they look different. But now that Amazon has CreateSpace, the first time I got a book from CreateSpace, I'm like, oh my God, yeah. this looks like a book. I can't tell the difference. And I'm like, why do I need the publisher? They're not gonna do me any good. I can, I can, and what's great is it's print on demand. So I no longer have to pre-order 5,000 copies and keep all those books in my garage. I mean, now if I'm speaking, I'm doing a, a gig in Washington state in a couple of weeks and I was able to just order 200 books on Amazon that'll be delivered directly to the customer. I mean, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, so 
the process changes with different books. And I had shared with you earlier, what was interesting about the leadership book I wrote is after I wrote it, I started reading it. I'm like, holy cow, like unintentionally, like most of my examples are about white male Americans. I'm like, that's messed up. And so the book I'm writing right now focuses primarily on minorities, women and international examples. And I'm getting really pumped up because I was, I was just writing uh, yesterday about uh, these two women uh, Agnes and Martha, they're both choreographers in New York City. They're at, having coffee at a coffee shop. And Agnes had just released her third play. And uh, fans, the, the, the audiences seemed to like it, but the critics just destroyed it. They're like, this is a horrible musical. And she was, was going to close down the show. And her friend Martha says, Agnes, no, you can't close down this show. It's not for you, for me, or for anybody to judge your work. Because your work might have meaning to somebody. And just so you know, you've never existed before. You'll never exist again. This is your only opportunity to share this with the world. You have to share this with the world. And so Martha, her friend was Martha Graham, who's the mother of modern dance. She won Kennedy Center Honors and uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom. And the woman she was encouraging was Agnes DeMille, who was the first woman to have three, three concurrent Broadway hits on at the same time. And she decided not to take that show off of Broadway. She kept it on Broadway. She just changed the name of the, of the musical to Oklahoma, which at wow. the time was the most accessible. You know, uh, I, I had written another story about this Italian guy. You'll like this, this Italian guy's pitching to his, <clears throat> he writes a letter. He's like, Giuseppe, my back is killing me. My ass hurts. I've been sniffing in fumes. I've been doing this damn painting for four years. I am miserable. Alas, I am not a painter. I am a sculptor and the letter signed Michelangelo right after he had completed work on the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is, and that's what I'm telling kids is I tell every kid, I'm like, all of you have poetry inside of you. Sometimes your poetry is your, is your jump shot. Sometimes your poetry is you're always the kindest person in the room. Sometimes you're a writer, but you have to share your poetry with the world because you've only given one chance. God put you here for one chance. You gotta make the most of it, and so that this stuff gets me pumped up because I, I always used to tell my students, you know, sometimes you need somebody else to believe in you before you believe in yourself. They only give me the best and the brightest. I believe in all of you, and I, I truly, when I'm looking into kids' eyes, I'm looking at you're the one that's going to solve cancer. You're going to cure cancer. Oh, you're the one that's going to create a movement that's going to end racism on this planet. Oh, and you're you're the one, you create this program for parents that make life a whole lot easier for parents. I mean, you got to think that when you're, you know this, you're a middle school principal. I mean, the, that's incredible what you're doing every single day. I mean, and this is, this is why I love doing things like this. I believe in iron sharpens iron. And I, I was really looking forward to this because I, I love your work, Andrew. Uh, and this is a great forum. What you're doing is uh, it's really supporting a lot of people out there. Danny, that was incredible. Just you could tell the passion there. Uh, again, I would love to have some comments. You jump in the show if you're watching live. Um, Danny, that, that was awesome. I think that's going to help a lot of people. And really, it's funny what you said about the cover. One of my good friends, Rick Jetter from Buffalo, that's what he said. I get the cover, and then, bam, it, it motivates me, and I put it up there. Uh, but those are great stories about your writing, and, uh, you know, good for you. Uh, Danny, we're coming down the stretch here. Uh, you and I could do a marathon show, sure, yeah. a 24-hour special. Uh, but let's get to rapid fire so we'll get you on your way. Great. Um, 
that was awesome. That was really cool. Uh, I definitely share that in the in the writers' workshop coming up uh, uh, on the twenty fifth. And holler if you need any help on that. I'm more than happy to 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 come and make a guest appearance. <laughs> <laughs> you might, you maybe we'll do that. I got a couple sure. surprises. Maybe we'll do that. Uh, Danny, let's roll. You you're you're a book reader. I, I mean, I don't know how you ask this question, but what was the last book you read? Uh, last book I read was American Caesar by William Manchester. It's a biography on General MacArthur, and it's a fantastic book. I read it for two reasons. I read it for William Manchester. I just read a trilogy he wrote a, on Winston Churchill, which is unbelievable. And then I had read uh, David McCullough's biography on President Truman. And uh, Truman, one of the things he did as president was he fired General MacArthur. And so I went into this book thinking, man, MacArthur's a jerk. And after reading it, I'm like, yeah, he definitely has his ego and everything. But gosh, he was an incredible general. He, I mean, the guy really didn't even believe in war. And he's probably the most successful general America's ever had. For every 10 Japanese that died, we, we only lost one American under his command. I mean, he was and then he was put in charge of rebuilding Japan right after the war. And the reason Japan became such an incredible first world country was basically because of General MacArthur. It's an amazing book. Wow. Wow. Last movie you saw. Oh, I, I watched, uh, what was it called? Worth with Michael Keaton. It's on Netflix. It's about uh, the, uh, oh, I can't think of the guy's name, but it was the guy that had administered the 9-11 fund. It's actually, I hope it gets nominated for some Oscars. It was it was pretty uh, moving. Giving out the funds, yeah. 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 I, we, we looked at that. I'll, I'll tell Mr. Murata. His name is Ken. Ken oh, he's incredible. I mean, like, 9-11, so it was crazy because I, we spent time with our own three children because our kids weren't born during 9-11. And so I, we showed them United 93. We showed them some documentaries on 9-11 um, on and talked about our own experiences. And the guy, people don't realize, and I still don't understand why he doesn't have a higher honor from people. Uh, the guy can't, Ben Spivey, ben Sp ben I think was his name, Ben Spivey. His first day on the job for the FAA was 9-11. And this is the guy that made the decisions nobody else would make. The military wouldn't make the decisions. No politician would make the decision. He was the one that made the decision, every flight is coming down now. And, and airlines are like, you're going to cost us billions of dollars. He's like, we're at war. I don't know what's going on. We need to get these planes out of the sky. And he doesn't receive any credit. And I'm like, this guy made a decision that, saved a lot of lives he's unbelievable so okay and I'm, I'm i'm i think it's ben spivey was his name but he's incredible look him up he's an, actually i should write about him i'll write about him in a book he's amazing there's, there's another book yep. <laughs> uh, favorite place to travel you're a worldwide traveler where's yeah, your favorite uh, place to go it'd be my, my wife is from singapore so we love going back to singapore but we can't right now because of the pandemic it's driving me crazy mm. uh what's a podcast you subscribe to Besides yours, Andrew. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I love uh, uh, the NPR How I Built This with Guy Raz. Talks about how different companies uh, came into being. It's one of the most, uh, oh, that show. That's, that's exactly like a Paul Harvey story where you're you're trying to follow. The very beginning, you try and figure out who the person is. Have you, do you listen to that one? I don't, know, but it's oh, man, it always starts, it starts off, it's like, and they get you into part of the conversation he's like he's like so i'll put i put my house my mortgage on the line you know we were about to lose everything but we had teaching credentials so i told my wife well we can always teach if we lose it all and then it goes you know you know of 
how I built this, how a little guy by the name of James Dyson decided to recreate the vacuum. And now he's one of the richest men in Britain. I mean, you're just sitting there like, oh, it's I love that show. I can listen to that all day long. <laughs> wow. And it probably gives you some good stories, right? When Absolutely. you speak it too. The other one I love is uh, oh, what's the name of the dang podcast? The guy, you know, Mike Rowe, who used to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah he, the Dirty Jobs. Yeah. Yeah. He narrates Deadliest Catch. He used to host the show Dirtiest Jobs. He has uh, a great podcast. It's not as great as it used to be because now it's long, but it's called uh, The Way I Heard It. And it used to be like under 10 minutes and he'd give you these nice quick little anecdotes. Now he kind of just ponders and he gets into politics and stuff. And I'm, it's, it's kind of what I always remind people about, you know, like not everybody cares about your opinion on everything in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your favorite comedian? Steve Martin. He's wonderful. Yeah, my mm -hmm. kids are loving the movie. I saw you had a post to uh, Norm Macdonald there. Oh, uh, I mean, Norm Macdonald was, uh, that's a show, a great, if you want a family show that nobody knows about, which is just a delight, is the, the show The Middle. He used to play the brother on The Middle with uh, Patricia Heaton, who was on Everybody Loves Raymond, and uh, Neil Flynn is the dad. Uh, that show is fantastic. But Norm MacDonald, and I mean, he was so fun. He's a great interview. He used to do great jobs on late night shows. And I never really cared for his weekend update on SNL, but gosh, he did the best Burt Reynolds impersonation. <laughs> he was he was so funny. I just it bums me out. I mean, um, you know, it, it's actually a reminder to all of us. He didn't share with anybody that he was dying of cancer for the last nine yeah. years. And yeah, uh, really, one, right? all yeah, all of us have to remember. You know, you never know when we're going to lose the people. So make sure you tell them that you love them now. Danny, you shared a lot of passions. You shared you know, a lot of humor here. What's something that gets under your skin? What's a pet peeve of yours? I hate rude people, inconsiderate people. There's way too many uh, rude people nowadays. Um, people need to remember their manners. Uh, again, I, I I think people are entitled to their opinions, but you don't have to you don't have to be rude about it and put down other people. I actually remember in second grade I had a nun and she was reprimanding me because I I spent most of second grade in timeout and. Uh, she said something to me, which always stuck in my head because I was yelling at a kid and she said, oh, you must be losing your argument. Only people that are losing the argument have to yell. And it's, it's isn't it crazy, Andrew, the things that stick in your head? But I always remembered that. And so whenever I see two people going at it and a person's yelling, I'm like, oh, they must be losing their argument. So that's how wow. I think people need to learn how to be a little bit more civil. That really gets under my skin. Um, yeah. Especially in this country, I, I'm tired of people being red or blue. I think everybody needs to be red, white, and blue, and remember that we're all mm. part of the greatest country on the planet. And you travel a lot, and unfortunately, you probably see a lot in, the, you know, traveling the airports and the just yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you're home today, right? You know, I, uh, on 8 a.m. on a Saturday when you're home, I feel fill in the blank. Psyched! It's the weekend. I love. I love the weekend. I get to spend. Uh, so my oldest, she'll be going to college next year. It's freaking me out. And so my wife and I are like planning. We do weekend excursions now every weekend because we're like, man, we the time went so quickly and we want to make sure to have these memories. And then the last year and a half has been killing me because we weren't able to travel abroad. Like, you know, so that's what I did this summer is we just packed up the minivan and we drove through 13 states throughout the American South. And uh, I made my kids look out the window and see America. It was wonderful. We had a great time. <laughs> Fantastic. Best purchase under a hundred bucks. This has had a great impact on your life. Oh gosh. I, 
our economy would be screwed if it was up to me. I'm not a I'm not a consumer at all. The only things I bring, I, I buy are uh, bourbon and uh, <laughs> book bourbon and books bourbon and books. Uh, yeah, so I guess probably a, my library card is the best investment I've ever had. <laughs> I, I keep the money free, but uh, your, your, your father would like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something about Danny Brussel that people do not know about. Okay, I'll share a story. I shared it with a little boy. I was speaking in Chennai, India, and I was pumping up all the kids. And this little boy came up to me afterwards, five years old. He was missing his left uh, left limb. And he, he kind of looked up and he's like, you, you're very inspiring, but what can I do? And I said, you know, you got to remember to turn your weaknesses into your strengths. And I'm like, you know, when I was your age, uh, I went to 18 different schools before sixth grade. They always called me stupid but because I didn't speak right. I stuttered. And it wasn't until I found a teacher who actually had patience with me and she would sing things to me. It's kind of like the movie, The King's Speech. And I would sing them Ooh. back and I gradually lost my stutter and I became a swan. But the, uh, the point I made to the little boy, I'm like, isn't it interesting that the little boy they said was stupid and couldn't speak right, now gets paid ridiculous sums of money to travel the world to speak. And he just lit up and I, I I always tell people that I'm like, don't let anybody tell you what you cannot do. If there's one thing human beings have proven, it's anybody's capable of anything. And that's what gets me. That's why I'm an optimist. My wife wonders why I like sports so much. And I'm like, because at any moment, something incredible can happen. We had we got in an argument over the Olympics because uh, I was rooting against America. And she's like, how are you rooting against America? I'm like, who am I going to root for? The American with the microchip in his Nikes or the barefoot Sudanese refugee who just survived a civil war? I mean, like, and they do the backstory and the guy's like, oh, I learned how to run when I was running away from the stray bullets during the war. I'm like, of course I'm rooting for that guy. I love underdogs. So uh, I, don't, yeah, I don't even remember the question, but uh, <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm well, you, sh you shared that you had, you stuttered when you were younger. And oh, yeah, yeah, kudos yeah. Kudos for sharing that story. Yeah, so something, wow. yeah, something about me was that it was that, yeah. Wow, wow. Uh, Danny, again, you speak, you're on the road. What's your go-to exercise secret? I love, um, I got the idea actually from watching New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick as I was watching, he always watches game film from his exercise bike. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so I do that all the time now. I'm constantly on the bike and I can get in about two to three hours and read while I'm on the bike or watch a game or something. And the time just goes right by. You don't even realize that you're working out. So I, yeah, I, I have, I have coach Belichick, even though I don't like the Patriots, uh, I do respect that he's. They should probably just rename the Lombardi Trophy after Belichick. The guy is a miracle worker. He's unbelievable. Do you wear the cutoff shirts while you do that? <laughs> do you know? <laughs> why, do you know why he does that? No. So that's actually a funny story. That <laughs> makes me love Bill Belichick. The reason Bill Belichick looks like a mess on the sidelines was he always wanted to wear a suit on the sidelines, like Tom Landry and the NFL has a rule that coaches have to re have to wear their their team's brand on the sidelines and it it annoyed belichick so much he's like oh you want me to wear the brand okay so he wears like this his sweatshirt that's cut off and it's got beer stains and stuff <laughs> and that just makes me laugh every time i see him i'm like good for you that's a great little step you, you want me to wear your merchandise okay i'll wear it with spaghetti stains all over it makes me love him every time well, Danny, I'll say this. You did terrible at rapid fire. These were not quick, <laughs> short answer questions, but this has been one of the best dang interviews 177 times to get to you, but this was incredible. Uh, 
David, I, I, I'm inspired. Uh, I can't imagine what your listening audiences do. Uh, I appreciate you. Danny, if people want to have you speak, if they want to get in touch with you, what, what's the best way here? Well, I wanted to give every all the listeners a, a little goodie since they, they put up with me for this time. Uh, so if you go to freereadingtraining.com, again, freereadingtraining.com, I'm going to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of a book I wrote called Read, Lead, and Succeed, which is a book I wrote for a, a principal who was trying to keep his his faculty positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation that demonstrates the same concept. You can get through that in five minutes. And then I'm also going to give you access to a reading challenge I just did recently uh, for parents for a week, uh, an hour a day for five days giving you all kinds of ideas. It's the basis of the program I do on reading called uh, thereadinghabit.com, uh, where basically in just over two months, uh, we'll get your kid to read more, read better, and most importantly, to love reading. So that's my gift to everybody. And uh, I am just so grateful that you had me as a guest today, Andrew. Thanks for all that you do. That was, uh, that was incredible, Danny. Uh, I know you're on Twitter as well. You're pretty easy if you them up you'll find them uh, but his website is, is running here below also um Danny, this was incredible uh i am inspired and uh, uh thank you uh, for being on here uh then we usually end with a quote you've had a hundred here uh is there one you want to end here with well i'll end I'll, I'll end the way i used to end class whether i was teaching my little ones or my older ones as my kids are exiting my classroom they always have to hear the same refrain i say remember kids education is valuable but execution is priceless. Knowledge is not power. Only applied knowledge is power. Knowing what the right thing to do and doing the right thing are two very different things. So go out and do the right thing and make this world a better place. Mm. This was show number 177. This is Danny Purcell. Uh, well, uh, this was incredible, Danny. We're going to sign off here on Education, Leadership, Beyond. Don't go anywhere. Guys, if I can help you in any way, don't hesitate to reach out at Andrew Morata 21. Check out Danny's work. Get him in your organization as a speaker. Uh, and holy cow, that was incredible. Danny, thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, Andrew. God bless. All right, here we go.